if you're a creator and you're interested in virtual production from any angle, almost any industry, you're basically welcome. There's lighting designers who did concerts. They're now doing them virtually with the same exact tools. Virtual production is still filmmaking. Hey everybody, welcome to RightBrainers, where we unpack the latest trends in technology and creativity through real stories of creative breakthroughs, brought to you by Z by HP. In each episode, we'll dive inside the creative minds of the world's most innovative thinkers. I'm your host, Tito Hamzy, a man on a mission to get his left brain to understand some of the biggest right brains out there. On this episode, I get to hang out with cinematographer and developer Matt Workman about how the virtual production space is cracking the film industry wide open. Matt, what's up, man? How you doing? It's not, not too bad. So I've been reading up, checking you out. It seems that you've been working on like a ton of stuff. Tell me about your leap to virtual cinematography and how you got into this. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a great time that I finally have a name for what I do because it's been a little bit Hard to explain to the parents and anyone else who's been watching like the progress up until this point. I've chased my interests and like I think a lot of people I liked video games in the beginning, wanted to make video games. And I ended up in New York City interning at like an animation company for like 3D. After doing it and kind of shadowing some like professionals back then, this is I don't know how many years, 10 plus, maybe longer. You know, 3D graphics back then were really slow, like not so much fun, definitely not real time in, in any way. So I went into film production. I was in New York City and I luckily was able to get on Craigslist at the time was like viable, like completely viable back then. It was like that early on the internet, like pre-iPhone, had to go home to check your email <laughs> type situation. <laughs> and I was able to just hop on Craigslist and find like internships and get on sets. And like, that's where it really started. Just worked as a camera intern, PA, and you know, the kind of like tried and true path of getting into the film industry. That's how it started. So when did you get into actually becoming a cinematographer, the DP, like getting into the things that you actually do now? Luckily, I was able to be a crew member and learn on bigger sets, but I was also able to just go buy my own camera. I bought a Panasonic DVX100, which was like the first 24P camera, which was like a, a big deal back then. And then DSLRs came out like not that much longer after. And I just was freelancing and I was just, I would do everything. I would shoot it. I would direct it. I think a lot of people did this. And I would just find whoever wanted to do something. You know, a lot of music videos were the ones that were accessible. And so I shot like a hundred indie music videos. And then after having that reel of just building that up, eventually bigger directors noticed and I was able to do work with bigger directors, do bigger music videos, and then eventually commercials too. So how did you go from traditional production into virtual production? In New York City, I was working a lot with VFX companies and they were working in 3D. So I got a lot of experience working on green screens and then talking with the VFX supervisors. I was always interested in that. You know, in the back of my mind, I always had an interest in, you know, still video games and still 3D. just wanted it to be fast and fun. Mm -hmm. So uh, just working on a lot of VFX jobs, I started to get into 3D and I started to just take online courses and just took a ton of 3D classes. I wanted to be able to do my own like previs, they call it. I just wanted to be able to basically communicate with the VFX companies. And so I started to do that. And I got really, really into that. And I started a company to do that full time, just to build like 3D software and 3D stuff for filmmakers. And then the jump into virtual production happened when essentially Epic Games reached out to me, who makes Unreal Engine. They reached out, saw the work I was doing was like hybrid 3D and cinematography. And we just started working together. And I started building things. And then eventually, like the real way I got onto it was that they asked me to shoot the director and DP for uh, a mini Mandalorian setup. It was the exact same crew, exact same technology used on Mandalorian. And we shot this demo for a month, basically, for SIGGRAPH. So I was the director and DP on that. So that was like my real 
first time on an LED volume. I think a lot of people's first time. It hasn't been around like that long. Was that the motorcycle one that you did or was that a different production? Yeah, that was the, that was the motorcycle shoot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing that and I was like, whoa. Like being able to change stuff live, dude, that's awesome. That's what I was like too when I was there. <laughs> yeah. And and was that and that was the first time that you were actually in that environment, or did you do it on like smaller scale first? Like create an MVP at home using your own LED wall, or did you just go straight into that type of huge production? That was my first time. You oh know? my and god. Like there was I'd never heard of it. It was like st- like Mandalorian hadn't come out yet. And yeah. no one really knew that this was happening. Mandalorian was like really one of the first ones. So they didn't even tell me what it was. They're like, it's this cool project that you'd probably like. And I was like, cool. I was already going to I was already going to SIGGRAPH with them already. So I was like, yeah, let's let's do this. Yeah. And then when I heard about it, I was like, wow, that sounds intense. And so luckily it wasn't like jumping into like a normal job where it's like, okay, we're going to shoot like, you know, three pages a day or we need to get this actual product. It was really a big kind of like research and development project. So, you know, as long as it took me to catch up to understand it, we had that time built into it. And I was there to just consult and, it wasn't finished when I got there either. They were still building it. And, you know, I was there to help kind of the finishing touches as far as like shooting it, what angles and whatnot. So that was, that was my first one. Yeah. How often are you creating right now? Like being by yourself, sheltering in place, not a lot of productions happening that are big uh, traditional side. How often are you creating content? Too much, way too much. You know, it's, it's a way of life at this point and a business and a sickness probably, but I like it. Anytime I'm doing anything, I'm creating content around it and sharing it because that's just been working so well, you know, and it's constantly, I'm constantly taking photos and filming and editing and I could probably live stream for like two hours a day and make a YouTube video and cut it down to socials and manage the comments and replies to keep them moving. I I do that 24-7 and then I take breaks. It's at my pace. It's as much as I want to do. I don't do very much contract stuff. So it's pretty much wake up. And if I'm feeling it, I can just put out as, as much as possible. And then when I'm tired, I'm like, I'm all done. You know, and I, I don't I don't work long hours, especially these days. I get up at like nine or ten sometimes, and I am done at five. I am just done. I have two kids; they're home now as well, and I don't work long hours. But I I think the focus is very sharp, so I could get things done. I guess you had the fundamentals from production, and then you were already in that world with three D. That the transition to that wasn't hopefully insane. But were there any obstacles that you faced? I think it's like shooting anything. Like when the first time you're shooting on green screen, you have to do it. Maybe it doesn't come out so well, then you learn from that. If you're shooting rear projection, which this they consider like the LED walls, like the evolution of rear projection. So like if you were just putting a projector with like a video of like a car driving down the street, basically, mm-hmm. and you had to shoot that, you know, you start to learn just by looking through the lens and trying things like what's going to happen. So it was the same thing. It was just my first time. Luckily, I had like uh, about a week and a half where we just sat there all day and tested and tested and we would try different lighting setups and whatnot. And, and luckily, and I think this is true on the bigger jobs, like if I didn't understand anything, it still would have happened. You know, like there's there's enough people there that know what's happening. Yeah. That's kind of the fun part of it is that like, no one's like an expert at this yet. You know, even I working on this project, the next one I do possibly later this year, it's going to be different. The tech has changed. So it's still going to be like, hopefully at least a day or two of like really checking, you know, it's a, it's a moving target, but that's that's kind of the fun part. Yeah. So what lessons or techniques have you brought over from traditional production into this? And then what is something that you're like, whoa, I need to learn more of that 
just to be fully in control of this production. At the end of the day, you know, virtual production is still filmmaking. If the script is bad or the acting isn't good or the framing or composition or the lighting doesn't look good, you know, that it's all for nothing, you know. So all that traditional filmmaking knowledge and for me, you know, I consider camera work and lighting to be like my, my specialty. Uh, I bring all of that over and it's especially relevant there. So like your aesthetics of like keeping the background out of focus, you know, singling in on the talent who should be the focus of the frame, doing that correctly doing smooth camera movements that make sense, that'll edit together really well. All that just traditional filmmaking stuff, that's all 100% relevant here. That's the fun part about virtual production is that you can see the real lighting and you can see the virtual lighting same time. So it's this real time like musical instrument that you can play versus uh, kind of the older way is like, I kind of roughly know what's going back there. It's green screen, I don't really know. And I just kind of generally light it. So like when, you, when you're changing it in real time, are you just going to whoever's handling the graphics computer and you're like, all right, I need, I need a key light to come from here. I, I need more light on this background. Is it like that simple and that quick during production? Yeah, you know, it, de it depends on the set. But in general, yeah, that's what we aim to do. So there's usually someone on set with me, like right next to me, like a, what I, I refer to as like a virtual gaffer, where a live action gaffer is the person who's controlling the lighting of the live action set. We have our virtual gaffer controlling the lighting of the virtual set. And yeah, you know, like I don't have to necessarily know what's happening in Unreal Engine. I do know like what's happening. Like I helped program and design some of it. But filmmakers who don't know like what's going on behind the scenes, they can speak like they would to a regular gaffer and be like, you know, I want it to be brighter from above and there's a skylight for that and they have the control and they'll they'll translate that request to what has to actually happen and you know the funny part is like yeah you can move the sun so you can be like okay so let's move the sun out from behind the mountain so that we see it and it's coming through and you've kind of done that on a smaller scale i remember i saw one of your videos where you're controlling a car driving that car while filming it like you have so much control over what you can do now yeah, and luckily, because it is a game engine, which is the fun part, is that you don't have to hand animate everything. Like, I am I am not much of an animator. Mm -hmm. Me with the timeline and keyframes is not anything special. I, I, I try to stay away from that. I basically get to just record it. It's very much like if you were going to record driving like a real remote control car, you know, and you were able to like play that back after. Like, you, you drove it live and then whatever happened, you could play it back and then film it. That's what we do virtually. So you're pretty active on social media. Is there a story or moment that made you open up to your community about the process? If I do a project with someone, it's cool to take a photo of that and remember it. I like being able to do that. And then from there, having a community around me is how I learn as well. Like this stuff is very new and it's very multidisciplinary. And specifically with virtual production, I like having this community of experts from all these different fields. You know, when, when you compare it to like everything there is to know about virtual production, I know nothing, you know. I rely on like union level lighting designers who are in my Facebook group and they're doing Unreal Engine DMX programming. And I've only just started that and they've been lighting concerts with DMX for like 20 years. So I put out content and that kind of like attracts people who are interested in it. And we end up in some communities, sometimes it's Discord or used to be forums and whatnot. Facebook for now is a pretty good one. And so I really get to learn and bounce off them. For the most part, I'm, I'm here alone in my studio programming. So it's kind of like having a workplace and peers and a consistent group of people to bounce ideas off of. Like today, someone suggested this program that makes anime characters, which is incredible. Then I was like, I've never even heard of that. It's a Japanese program, so I had to like translate it to even try it. But like, that's not something I would have found on my own. It kind of gives me like a community to work off of when I'm working by myself. And then I think it really accelerates my learning because then other people are sharing as well. And what do you get from sharing so much with your community? Is it a two-way street? Yeah, for sure. Like, again, I get like direct information from them on a lot of cases. Specifically, when I was learning Unreal Engine, I live streamed it pretty much seven days a week, like eight hours a day on Twitch, like every day. 
And there was a little community there and other developers would come in and they would help, right? They, they made their programming. Maybe they know something. Maybe they just want to watch. And they would give me tips. And I remember learning along the way. They would be like, oh, you should really try this. And I'd be like, I've never even heard of that. Yeah. And I would Google it. And I was like, okay, cool. I kind of like get guided by the community as well. Like especially with virtual production because like there's no online guides yet. It's still so new. I really rely on the information back. You know, like I give as much as I can. And, I, and I, usually I feel like that, that comes back even more. It's an immediate feedback loop of sorts. So you can see exactly what you're doing. That's great. With regards to what you're working on, what is a breakthrough that right now you're chasing? I'm working really heavily on photorealistic digital humans and performance capture that's affordable, that's indie. On paper right now, if you had the connections to, to produce the movies, and whatnot, you'd be like, oh, cool. You want like one photoreal digital human at like, say, tentpole movie level. It's like $4 million, something like that, to produce them. Scan them, do all the, the necessary work, rig them, and that's just not even animating or anything like that. But we're seeing a lot of new technologies coming from like being able to scan your own face or use video to make the recreation of a 3D person all much easier. And then using a lot of like mixed reality technology to then do motion capture at like an indie level. Because like once we can have, you know, digital humans that look great and they get lit well, and then you can perform with them fairly easily. All I need is that cart behind me in my computer and I can sit there and film it forever and come out with like pretty good looking work. So I think as an industry, everyone's trying to get digital humans to cost less and, and look better. And what is holding that back with regards to that and virtual production? Is it cost? Is it hardware? It's research, you know, research and development. Like all technology, like if you look at the speed of computers now, the speed of graphics cards are like insanity, like so fast compared to 10 years ago. It's like mind-blowing. It's the same sort of thing. So people are going to figure that out. And it's not my specialty, but I know that like machine learning and deep learning is a big part of it. So you're training AIs, kind of like how deep fake technology is also just the more you feed it references, the better it gets. So we're teaching computers to recognize humans. Like, is that a hand? Where is it moving? Is the hand in front of the person? Is it behind them? You know, there's a lot of machine learning and training happening for that. And how do you see your work in virtual production impacting the larger film industry? Why I do this and like what I feel like I'm doing right now is just introducing people to it and showing that it's somewhat achievable at an indie level and like how to get started with it. I know for me, if I can see someone on YouTube doing it or whatever on social, it's like, oh, that's like enough to get me to do it. Versus if you just see it on like the big movies, it's like, how do I get started with this? Lately, with the virtual production stuff, I just want to keep showing it and building that community so more people get into it. And it builds a bigger market, essentially. It's, it's some economics behind it. But the more people interested in it, the more companies will pay to do the R&D, make new cameras, new lenses that work better for this ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And some of these high-end 3D companies who usually only service like big movies now, maybe they're working with some more indie studios. As it grows, it gets more affordable, more accessible. And it's this kind of loop that happens very similar to when DSLRs came out or when digital first hit. Really expensive digital cameras used to be like a quarter million dollars. And then the Red One came out and then DSLRs came out. And I remember watching people doing that at a high level back then. And I think we're going through a very similar thing right now where it used to be very, very expensive to do digital humans, to do virtual production. It's like only the biggest movies. But now we're starting to have that same kind of DSLR revolution for virtual production. And I know that the content I put out there is like the content I used to watch. So speaking of doing it for less, like, do you think the mainstream film industry will adopt some of this indie attitude? Yeah, definitely. You know, like the big tent poles at the very front of the lines will always be able to afford the R&D costs. But your average, even say, I won't use names, but like video on-demand streaming service that we all know, 
they can't afford to R&D this that hard, right? It would be better if it was a little bit more standardized, a little bit more turnkey. And so as it does get like that, it'll become easier and easier and less of a risk to do it. And that's really what's going to be, I think, happening over the next five years is that it kind of gets standardized. And you'll see um, a lot of people doing it, especially now with the way the production, like the going back to work regulations during COVID, it's less people, right? And so a lot of these practices do enable that. Does that make a better movie? Whatnot? It's yet to be seen, but definitely you're shooting movies and, and TV shows with less people. Yeah, you've, you've really set yourself up for the perfect position during this whole pandemic. <laughs> Good job. Leading the whole entire thing. <laughs> uh, and then what's the one thing you would want listeners to remember after all of this? I would say if you're, you know, if you're a creator and you're interested in virtual production from any angle, almost any industry, uh, you're basically welcome. Like really, we have people from architecture and medical and all these different industries are kind of coming together into virtual production, especially filmmaking in real time. So gaming, those are very obvious, but like there's lighting designers who did concerts in the real world. They're now doing them virtually with the same exact tools. Really virtual production is this big melting pot of different technologies and creative arts. And so basically if you're working in any of those fields, you know, applying what you can do into real time graphics and virtualizing it, virtualizing the kind of work that you do like that is a future. That's something that is picking up steam. A lot of people are interested in that. So if you're looking for something new, combining what you do now, whatever that is with essentially real-time graphics or any of that kind of work, like say a game engine, it's a good time to do that. This is a very good time to get into that. Well, Matt, you keep doing you and keep disrupting this industry with virtual productions and crazy technology. I'll do my best. Thank you. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. It's that time of the show where we unpack the trends that our guests touched on. This week, it's my pleasure to introduce Josh St. John, designer, global head of creators at HP, and coincidentally, a good friend of mine. The man with the two first names, Josh St. John. What up, man? Hey, good to see you, Tito. Good to see you, too. We're talking about virtual production. And Matt Workman, we had a pretty good discussion, lots of things he's doing, very innovative. Can you quickly explain the traditional post-production process versus virtual production? Yeah, it's interesting. I think now with uh, the COVID situation, virtual production should just be called production. It's just, it's just the, the way it's done now. But yeah, I mean, practical stuff, like things that are shot in camera, like that was kind of the way things were for a long time. And then CG came in and you would shoot it on a green screen and you composite afterwards. And now with virtual production, there's a whole bunch of different ways to achieve these kind of hybrid practical CG looks. And Workman, to me, is uh, just really inspirational because he's... Uh, He's taking kind of consumery VR technology. It's not quite consumer, but it's like prosumer, let's say. And he is just trying to upend what type of quality you can do in virtual production with these tools, making it way more approachable. You know, there's always been motion capture. It's been around for a long time. And there's, you know, really amazing high-end motion capture stages. Um, yeah, but he's doing it at home. Yeah, so... With the introduction of consumer VR, these tracking systems have been made much more approachable. And he's basically taking those that are designed to track your hands so that you can control um, your tools in the video game you're playing. And, and he's taking them and repurposing them to control the location of camera. So it's a 3D tracking within you know, a given shot. 
Matt, during his conversation, mentioned the importance of accelerated GPU, render power, and high compute devices. Can you talk about the growing importance of power while working virtually? I know we just gave Matt a Z8, a very powerful professional workstation. He's got a couple of really powerful graphics cards in there so that he can kind of be the conductor of that orchestra virtually and operate in a real-time environment. Does he get faster or better graphics cards and and update that? Or is that just what it comes with? Like the box is ready to go or are you constantly updating faster and better graphics cards? No. So, I mean, he has an an NVIDIA RTX 8000. And the reason we went with the 8000 was really because of the memory size. The 8000 has really fast processing and it also has what's called VRAM or virtual video memory. And the 8000 has the largest size VRAM that you can get. Okay, cool. And then uh, what are these tools that are necessary to do virtual production? So I'm going to plug Workman because he's so, you know, he's so creative. He made this. Yeah, he has his YouTube channel. Yeah, just I'm really inspired by how like open he is to share all of his ideas and kind of creations. But he created a, I'll just steal a quote from him where he's like a appified game or gamified app called Cinetracer, where it's pretty much like a video game. So you're using Unreal Engine Mm -hmm. and he built virtual cameras and virtual lights and all of these things that you use almost like a video game. So you're using like some video game controller and you're kind of framing the shot and recording it as if you were a cinematographer, but inside of Unreal Engine. And, And that's that's a super cool place to get started. So if a listener is interested in virtual production, What's the good first step to take besides going and checking out Matt's YouTube channel? Again, got to learn how to work 3D. Got to learn how to work with geometry, textures, lighting. And you got to learn how to be a cinematographer. So you got to know how to frame that shot, light that shot. I'll tell you, I've never been that great of a photographer and learning how to do rendering and to frame shots and do, you know, scene composition and light the shot. I learned all of that using 3D software, doing product renders all through my career. And now when I look through a camera lens, I trained myself to be a better photographer using these 3D tools. So I think just get started. Be curious about photography. Be curious about 3D. And um, yeah, don't be afraid to share your ideas and get out there. I think that the creator community is a lot like the gamer community. There's all these kind of Twitch-like streams where people are just sharing tools with YouTube and all of the kind of education platforms that exist. It's just putting that time on your calendar and, and making it happen. Well, Josh, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. The feeling is definitely mutual. I am so excited about virtual production right now. And it's great to be on the show doing virtual production, talking about virtual production with the one and only... Tito Hamzi. No, man, the pleasure is mine. Special thanks to this week's guest, Matt Workman. You can find more of his work in virtual production and virtual cinematography on his website, mattworkman.com. And you can find him sharing content all about it on all the socials. So check him out. Brainers is brought to you by Z by HP, the makers of high-performance laptops, desktops, and solutions for technical and creative pros. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thanks so much for joining us. If you want more food for your right brain, visit www.hp.com slash Until next time, I'm Tito Hamzy, and this is Right Brainers.